Hi, it's Ivy from Future of Food. You're listening to the Future X Podcast Network. Hey, it's Joe Hobbs. This is the Future of Activism. Jonathan Horn works in PETA's campaigns department, and he focuses on grabbing media headlines for animals and bringing PETA's message of total animal liberation to the streets. PETA views animal liberation and human liberation as one and the same. I'll ask Jonathan about that later. Welcome to the show, Jonathan. Thanks for having me. So, Jonathan, what kind of got you started in the life of activism, and how'd you get to where you are today? Animals have always been a huge part of my life. I've loved cats and dogs and especially birds. I have two birds that live with me, a Quaker parrot named Aria and a white-bellied kayak named Gatsby. And they are like children to me. They bring so much love and joy to my household. The story of how I became an activist, I believe, started before I was even an activist. And I remember as early as I must have been in eighth grade, maybe a freshman in high school. And I saw a a younger kid, a few years younger than me, probably around 11 or 12 years old, being picked on by kids. He was the only openly gay person that you know, we knew at the time, and they made his life a living hell. And I would see this going on day after day. And I said, enough. And I stepped in and confronted the bullies. And I said, if you pick on him, you're you're messing with me. And I stepped in on multiple occasions until eventually they left this kid alone. So now flash forward a few years and I'm going to a friend's graduation who was a couple years younger than me. And at her party, she's She says, Jonathan, I want you to meet someone. And sure enough, it was the kid who was 11 or 12 at the time of being bullied, graduating in her class from high school. I hadn't seen this kid in six years and didn't even recognize him, but he he recognized me. And he came over to me, gave me a huge hug, started crying and said, you were the only one who stood up for me when no one else would, and you changed my life. And it was such an emotional thank you. And it was such a great feeling knowing that I helped someone in their time of need. I think ever since then, my my life was changed. And I knew that that was what I needed to do in life was help others. And so from that point, I've always been a person who speaks up for those who can't speak for themselves, defending those who can't defend themselves. And animals are among the most vulnerable people on this planet. So I think it was a natural step to start defending animals as well as humans. So I understand that you're vegan. What like made you suddenly become vegan? Why did you become vegan? Was there some point in your life where you're like, wow, I need to completely change my entire lifestyle? What kind of prompted that change? I was already on a path of trying to live more ethical. I learned originally about like the chocolate industry and the coffee industry and the slavery, child slavery that goes on in in other countries for these products. And so I started boycotting those industries unless it was fair trade certified. And as I learned about other unethical practices in other large corporations in America, I decided they had no place in my life. How do I justify getting enjoyment, you know, at the expense of someone else? So I was already on that path, and then one of the only vegans I knew at the time, the former drummer in my band, he posted a PETA video, and it showed the living conditions of chickens in a factory farm. 
And what I witnessed in that video was absolutely horrific. They are trapped in cages where they can't turn around. They can't stand up. They can't even open their wings. After spending six weeks living in this sheer hell, they're then handled brutally by workers who are trying to work at as fast a pace as possible, where they're crammed onto slaughter trucks and brought to a slaughterhouse where they meet a horrific, violent, brutal ending. The lucky ones are stunned before they have their throat slits. The unlucky ones either have their necks broken by hand by some of the workers or even meet the boiling uh, water tub uh, used to defeather them fully conscious where they are either boiled alive or, or drowned. When I saw that video, I knew that that had no place in my life as well. So it wasn't so much I saw myself as going vegan as it was I was boycotting an industry that was doing horrific things to animals who feel pain and fear and suffer just as much as any of us do or the cats and dogs we, we share our homes with. So as I learned more about different industries, like, for example, them grinding up baby male chicks in the egg industry and taking baby calves from their mothers in the dairy industry, killing the, the male babies because they don't produce milk, and then forcing the females into uh, the same life as their mother. I said, there's no way I can justify supporting this. And gradually that led to becoming vegan. So was this video from PETA also a tipping point for you joining PETA? Or was there a different event in which you were like, I want to join this movement, this organization and help? So after seeing that video and, and starting to cut animal products out of my life, I turned to PETA yet again to to help me with recipes. Um, they have vegan starter kits for anyone that's learning, uh, wants to learn how to go vegan. They also have a vegan mentorship program. And so I, I signed up. I got my vegan starter kit, which was so critical in helping me replace recipes I loved and really enjoyed, but making them in a way that was cruelty-free. I start from there. I started going to just different animal rights activism on the side while I worked full time in a totally different field. I, I was working in finance at the time, and uh, I went to several PETA demos and was just blown away by the the compassion, the love, the level of professionalism that they had at, at all of their demos. And I was like, "Wow, this is really cool." I think it's very effective what they're doing. And so I talked to the campaigner at the time, who is now a really good friend of mine named Trisha Lebketcher. And she said, well, actually, PETA's looking for more campaigners if you're interested. I went home that night, thought about it. And the very next day, I started the, the application process. That's pretty awesome. So I'd love to get into um, how PETA sees animal and human liberation as one. That's definitely a revolutionary idea. It's not something that you commonly think of. Back in the day, at least when PETA was starting nowadays, it's a bit more common, but I definitely think PETA took the lead on that kind of thought. Could you lead us kind of through what exactly that means? Yeah, absolutely. So PETA has always held the, the case that human liberation and animal liberation is one and the same. They, they are the fight to end oppression and discrimination. And that, that oppression shouldn't just stop at our species. It, it, it's wrong to discriminate against someone based on the color of their skin or their race or their sexual or, orientation, their creed. R really, any reason is not a reason um, to discriminate against someone. And the same can be said whether that individual is covered in skin or fur, scales, or feathers. In addition to that, 
there are so many ways where humans are exploited by the meat, dairy, and egg industry that by going vegan and by standing up to the animals, you're also helping the people in these industries. A perfect example of that is what's going on right now in our country with the COVID-19 pandemic. Slaughterhouses have been a hotbed for COVID-19 with more than 10,000 workers across the country testing positive for COVID-19. That doesn't even include their countless family members and friends who have also uh, gotten the, the virus from the workers. And more than half of these workers in slaughterhouses are, are migrant workers or minorities, people of color. And I believe the statistic is more than 80% of the slaughterhouse workers who came down with COVID-19 are people of color. And so the, this industry clearly doesn't care about the safety of their workers. And even despite COVID-19, who wants to work in a slaughterhouse? Who wants to spend their day killing animals? There's a reason why so many slaughterhouse workers have PTSD. They, there's a, a rampant issue with substance abuse and domestic abuse because I couldn't even imagine working in a slaughterhouse and, and doing that all day long. It's so violent and brutal, and I think most people would take issue with that. It's also rated a very dangerous job. You're, you're working with dangerous machinery. You're working with animals who clearly do not want to die and fight with everything they have to, to stay alive. So all these things considered, it's just an industry that is not only very cruel to animals, but it's also horrible the way they exploit workers and take advantage of those who don't have other opportunities. So many vegans boycott the industry, not only for the animals, but also to stand in solidarity with the, the workers being exploited and mistreated by this industry. In addition to just slaughterhouse workers, it, it affects so many different aspects of our life. Another great example is tax subsidies that are used in the meat and dairy industry. There's a reason why a burger at McDonald's is only, you know, a few dollars and why we get milk and lunches at schools across the country. And it's affordable because we have tax subsidies that go to these large meat uh, companies. Now, the World Health Organization has labeled red meat a class one carcinogen. That means it's in the same category as smoking and asbestos. This classification describes the strength of the scientific evidence about whether an agent causes cancer, meaning there's a ton of research out there showing that people who consume large amounts of red meat come down with cancer. And so we know that this industry is, is giving us food that's not healthy for us. In addition, the dairy industry, dairy is another product that is not good for us. It's meant to take a baby calf and help them grow into a full-sized cow in really no time at all. And when we put that into a human body, it causes all kinds of health issues. So we're subsidizing with our taxes an industry that makes us sick, makes us overweight. It's linked to heart disease. It leads to diabetes, cancer, strokes, all these medical issues that kill millions of people in the developed world, and they're totally not needed for our health. So now we have all these taxes going to this industry that doesn't care about workers, doesn't care about our health, 
But meanwhile, we have food deserts in inner cities where some of the only food available to, to people in these communities is fast food and the food that we know is terrible for us. So they don't have access to fresh fruits and vegetables, which, by the way, help fight against cancer and heart disease and diabetes and all these det detrimental illnesses. So they don't have access to that, but they have access to plenty of this horrible processed food and red meat and dairy. So vegans very much say, let's stop funding these industries that don't care about humans, don't care about animals, only care about money. And why don't we reallocate those funding to get fresh, healthy food into inner cities? How, how can we expect kids from inner cities to perform well in school if they're not given a balanced, nutritious diet? So it affects people in inner cities. Another place that's very prevalent where vegan, vegan, a vegan diet can help is uh, with climate change. One of the single best things each of us can do to curb our impact on the environment is to eat a vegan diet. We all deserve clean air and water. We all deserve to have whole foods, healthy foods available to us. And the people who are influenced most by climate change, the, the people that, it, that climate change affects most are minorities, people in the lower SES communities, people of color, people in developed nations. And so this is very much a human rights issue as much as it is an issue to keep our planet alive and you know just going vegan is one of the best things every single one of us can do to to curb that yeah and it really is an issue i mean the meat industry and also the agricultural industry the government supports making it cheaper and cheaper and the people missing out are the farmers and the consumers the people winning is big corporations and it's really interesting there's some great literature and peter does great job and reports along with some other websites that show exactly how bad it is for us and how much we're missing out on it and how we pay cheap at fast foods yet our taxes go towards making that basically saving all these corporations money and it just amazes me how the government continues to give money to these bad industries that are obviously not caring about their workers not caring about anything but the profit and the government just gives them money so i mean so much is wrong with that how does that keep you from being discouraged. I mean, even I, as a climate activist, have been discouraged at times with the amount of people who say it's not real, or this one scientist says it's uh, fake, so it's obviously fake. What keeps you from being discouraged and what keeps you going facing all the criticism? I think one thing is, is my approach to activism is through compassion. It's through education and just continuing to educate, educate, educate. When we know better, we do better. So it never comes from a place of judgment or anger. It, it comes from a place of compassion, compassion for the victims of, of these industries, be it worker or animal, compassion for the consumers who are not given the information they need to make informed decisions. You know, and that's where organizations like PETA are very important because we go out there and we expose people to the truth. We let them know what's really happening in these industries, how they're destroying our environment, how they're harming animals, how they're harming workers. And by continuing to educate, I think most people, when, when they come across this, the truth, they, they choose the compassionate option. It's the little victories along the way 
that also keep you motivated. Most recently, I, I've been working on a campaign against Chrysler's sponsorship of the Iditarod race in Alaska, and that's a, a campaign that we have won in the last few months where Chrysler has uh, come out and said that they will no longer sponsor the Iditarod. And so having little victories along the way definitely keep me motivated. Um, I mentioned having Aria and Gatsby at home, and I think uh, having them in my life and seeing the kind of life they have and comparing that to the life of animals in factory farms and slaughterhouses keeps me going. You know, I, I love telling the story. Aria has a favorite song. If I put on Another One Bites the Dust by Queen, she absolutely goes nuts. Her little feet start stomping up and down. She starts bobbing up and down, spinning in circles. They have colors they love. They have colors they don't like. Like, she's not a fan of the color red. Gatsby loves to play little games. When I'm working out, you know, when I stretch and I lift my arms up over my head, he imitates me and he'll lift his wings up over his head. These are clearly individuals who have so much personality. They have so, so much emotion. They have wants and needs and desires. And I like to think they have a, a good life. I, I keep them out with me. I'm, I'm fortunate that I get to work from home and I have them out on my shoulders all day long. We spend a lot of playtime together, but they're, no, they're not in their natural habitat. No matter what I do for them, it never will be their natural habitat. And knowing that as good as they have it, it's still not enough. I think about the countless animals out there that don't even have that, that don't even have the, their basic needs met. And I think seeing that contrast between the two makes me want to fight for a world where every individual, regardless of the species, regardless of what they look like, is able to live their life to the fullest potential, to live a happy, healthy life, free from the harm of humans who know better. A lot of people will, will counter that, you know, horrible things happen in nature. Well, we can't always control what happens in nature, but every human being has the ability to choose compassion and to show compassion for others. It takes absolutely nothing away from a human being to show compassion to an animal, and and that's what keeps me going every day. So Pete is known for taking some really extreme action. That's what most of the news articles are about is your guys' extreme actions, you know, breaking into um slaughtering houses, breaking into farms, and exposing the horrible conditions that they are in. How has PETA adapted to COVID-19 and not being able to take as many in-person actions? Do you guys have a new strategy or are you guys kind of just taking a break and behind the scenes creating some things? PETA has not been taking a break during COVID-19. If anything, we've been upping our efforts because now not only do we have millions of animals being slaughtered every day, but we have workers whose lives are at risk, not only their lives, but the lives of their families. So what we've been doing is been taking precautions to prevent the spread of the pandemic while still maintaining our, our activism, uh, doing things like posting social media videos, doing activism online, um, in-person actions, we're maintaining six-foot separation between activists and between the public. We require everyone to be wearing a face mask. If you're handing out any kind of literature, we are wearing gloves. In general, though, instead of just passing out literature, our old model, we've been using QR code posters that, we, that we're hanging up 
or displaying for people to scan a QR code to get more information. So there's a number of things we've done to to adapt to the times. Car protests are a favorite of ours where we, we make processions of cars with banners so that people are staying with people that they are sheltering in place in, in their cars and not interacting with the, the larger public or with other activists. So no, we're absolutely continuing on with our urgent message. We're just taking every precaution necessary to keep our activists as well as the general public safe. So do you have any quantifiable data or big examples of where you can say PETA really made a difference? Like, for example, you guys, the uh, getting Mercedes, it was Mercedes, correct, to not sponsor the race? Oh, you're talking about that, that I did a rad? That was, yes. uh, that was Chrysler. Sorry, Chrysler. So that's one example. Do you have any other examples of really quantifiable data that PETA directly influenced? There, are, There's been so many victories over the years. Where to even start? Um, I, I guess everyone's familiar with the documentary on Netflix, Tiger King. PETA was very instrumental in taking down Joe Exotic. That's something I'm sure many people are familiar with. Ringling Brothers announced that they would be shutting down in 2017, just a couple of years ago, after the, we've been targeting them for over three decades. You had, in the early 90s, I think it was 1994, Calvin Klein became the very first large uh, fashion designer to say he would no longer use fur, and that was after uh, a PETA demonstration at his office. We also, in the early thousands, we convinced McDonald's, Burger King, and Wendy's to make sweeping reform to their animal welfare standards. More recently, like as soon as this year, Brooks Brothers announced that they would stop ordering products made from exotic animal skins, and they're the oldest retailer in the United States. We already mentioned Chrysler was no longer sponsoring the Iditarod, but just this year, Alaska Airlines also ended their sponsorship, as did Baird Private Wealth Management. And they're joining a whole host of other uh, corporations that used to be sponsors, including Coca-Cola, Costco, Jack Daniels, Maxwell House, Nestle, Pizza Hut, to name a few that all have stopped sponsoring the race, many of which PETA had targeted with campaigns before they did so. Just here in my hometown of Chicago, we had a major win this year. The combined effort between Chicago Alliance for Animals and PETA they convinced Chicago to vote to ban horse carriages. So 2020 will be the last year for horse carriages in Chicago. So those are just a few examples of some of the victories we've had over the years. In addition to some of these milestones, we have a huge social media influence. I believe the total number is over 8.2 million followers across different platforms, almost 6 million on Facebook. I think it's close to 1.5 million on Instagram and over a million on, on Twitter. So we we hit a huge audience with our our social media platforms we have over six and a half million members worldwide and there's multiple different affiliates of PETA across the world in different countries so it really our organization has a far far-reaching input i mean that's absolutely amazing that much of a reach and that many goals that you've achieved and quantifiable results is always great to hear so these past couple years and the next couple years are ever changing, especially with technology. And also you have got the global pandemic, which nobody expected, but suddenly hit us. Where do you see PETA in five years, two years? Like in the future, do you think you guys are going to change the way that you guys 
are activists, or do you think you're going to stay the same, just kind of adapt a bit more to the technology? Our core principles of total animal liberation, fighting for fighting against discrimination of all kinds, ending speciesism, that that will never change. We will continue that fight in whatever way we find best, as long as we're here. And of course, we will adapt with the times. I've seen just in the past year that I've been with PETA, how much our tactics have adapted, especially COVID-19 has made so many organizations um, have to adapt. So, you know, we were quick to put out the QR code posters, do more things virtual. If there's one thing PETA's good at, it's at getting people's attention and adapting with what's trending online, what's trending in the news. So yeah, we will absolutely be changing tactics and and, and doing what we find is, is most effective, but our core principles will never change. So what advice would you have for anyone who wants to become an activist? I think I would start by saying anybody can be an activist. Anyone is an activist who's fighting to change the world. Something as simple as we brought up veganism before, something as simple as as eating a vegan diet is really a form of activism. It's a boycott of an industry that is profiting from the exploitation of others, others being animals and humans alike. And that really is the first step to activism is to get active. It's to research, learn, become educated on a topic. From there, show up. Find what it is that you're passionate about and then go out there and make a difference. And while you're doing that, while you're fighting for your difference, you can also adopt that plant-based diet. It's something all of us can do to really make a big difference. It takes nothing away from your cause to show compassion to animals and to make that compassionate decision every time you sit down for a meal, every time you buy clothing, the way you choose to entertain yourself, all of that, it affects other people and animals every single day. And so by choosing compassion and putting the victims first and saying, I am not going to support an industry that exploits these animals or people, you're you're helping so many different causes as well as you're helping your own cause. You mentioned yourself, you're a climate activist. Well, by adopting a plant-based diet, you are going to reduce your carbon footprint better than any other diet you could choose. If you're a Black Lives Matter protest, if that's something that's important to you, or workers' rights, by protesting an industry that is allowing their workers to die from COVID-19 and and forcing them to do a horrible job that most people wouldn't dream of doing, you're showing solidarity for those workers. It's something every single one of us can do, no matter what we're fighting for. So yeah, I would say uh, for all those different things are are things you can do to to get involved. I I 100% agree. So how can our listeners learn more about PETA and the mission and the message you guys want to send? You can go to PETA.org to get more information. Follow us on any of our social media pages. We have a Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. We're even doing TikTok videos. We have something called an action team. If you go to PETA.org and you search for action team, you can sign up for our action team and you'll get notifications about actions in your area where you can show up to demonstrations. You might even see me leading one of them because I travel all over the country leading demonstrations. Um, You can sign up to get text message alerts where just from your phone, you can send a text message to make a difference for animals. There's so many different ways to get involved and PETA tries to make it as easy as possible for people 
to to join us. Jonathan, thank you so much for joining me today. I feel like this was an amazing discussion. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a great time. Listen to the Future of Activism on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Transcripts and show notes are posted to futurex.fm. We're part of the Future X Podcast Network. I'm Joe Hobbs.